encouraging the last few weeks uh, talking to people uh, about what we've been talking about in Colossians and actually having people share some of the illustrations that we've been using and uh, how they've been thinking through them. Uh, and uh, if you're here last week, you know I began the message talking about products that we've received or bought, experiences that we've participated in uh, that didn't live up to what was claimed of them, didn't live up to the advertising. And some of you have shared uh, your ideas of things that you have experienced in the past. One of the products that I was thinking of last week, and I never mentioned it, and it turns out to be one of the biggest marketing flops of all time. And uh, you got to be old enough to remember the 80s. But Coca-Cola came out with New Coke. They were going to improve the taste of what they had to then call classic Coke, uh, and uh, it was going to be bigger and better than what people had enjoyed in Coca-Cola, and it was a major flop. It didn't live up to what they claimed of it, and very soon after, they came back with classic Coke, and I think they had new Coke for a while, and I think new Coke is... Uh, uh, gone the way of the dodo, I guess. Uh, and one of the experiences that I was thinking of last week and I didn't share, and it, it happened around this time of year, the youth group that I was leading at the time, we every year did a winter or a Christmas banquet for what we called our senior saints. Uh, and it was a real to-do. Like we had turkey dinner and everyone got dressed up and the youth put on this evening for the seniors. And one of the things that we needed was for our carol sing, we needed someone who could play the piano. And so one of our youths claimed that she was quite an experienced pianist and she would be happy to play for the carol sing. And so we got through the dinner, everything went smoothly, it was a fantastic evening. We got to the portion where we were going to do carol singing, everyone had their hymn books turned to the carol, and uh, this girl Cheryl uh, started to play with one finger. And she literally just used her one finger to play the melody line of the songs. She definitely could not play the way that she claimed uh, she could play. And, and when us leaders composed ourselves from laughing, we struggled our way through the carol sing uh, with this one-fingered piano player. And so we can all think of products and, and experiences that just don't live up to as advertised. And we also talked as a, about products, experiences, and people, but then I got more specific. I said I wanted to focus on a group of people whose walk isn't always the same as their talk, and that was Christians. That all of us can think of those who profess to be followers of Jesus who don't live any differently than those who don't profess to be followers of Jesus. There's no connection between what the person believes and, and the way that they uh, behave um, they can defend the truth. They can declare the truth. Uh, they profess to have had a, a life-changing experience with the gospel, but the evidence doesn't back it up. Uh, they aren't as advertised, and some of them are deeply caught up in a life of sin. And we've been going through Paul's letter to Colossians, and you can imagine Paul's response. This isn't adequate. This doesn't cut it. It does little good to be able to defend and declare the truth, to claim that you've had a life-changing experience with the gospel, and yet not demonstrate it in the way that we live our life. Paul's told us that we've been freed 
from the powers that are set against us. But he also tells us that we are free to live lives beyond moral reproach. God has made us to be new, but he hasn't just made us to be new and left us there. He challenges us to live as new people. We don't have to live like we used to live. We can break free from the past. And that was the question that we came to at the beginning of yet last week's sermon. How do we break free from the past? How can we overcome those sins that so often mess us up? And I suggested that the passage that we looked at last week and we're going to continue looking at today, Paul gives us an answer. And he tells us that we need to look up, we need to look out, we need to look in, and we need to look around. So we're going to continue uh, what we were talking about last week. So if you've got your Bible there, or if you can grab a pew Bible, uh, turn to Colossians chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 1. Now, the praise team has already read this for us, and so I'm just going to quickly review the first couple of things that we looked at last week, and then we're going to jump back in uh, to the passage, and I'm going to try to make it through those four labels. Look up, look out, look in, and look around. And so in verses 1 through 4, we come to the first label, look up. And I said last week that in 2 verse 20, Paul has reminded us that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have died with Christ, which speaks of the definitive, definite break from our former way of life. And then in chapter 3, in verse 1, Paul begins by telling us that we've risen with Christ. And that's our new status. That is the new life. And that is the new life that we are to live. And we live that life in Christ. He is our power source. And we saw that this new life gets going with a new orientation. As we set our minds and our hearts on the things above. Literally, we seek out the things above where Christ is seated at God's right hand. And that fact that God is seated at uh, sorry, Jesus is seated at God's right hand, is to remind us that Jesus is supreme. He's Lord over creation. He's Lord over the church. And he has successfully completed his role in God's plan of redemption. So Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And that is where we are to seek. We are to seek the things above, where Jesus is seated at God's right hand. And out of this new orientation comes ethical implications. First of all, we belong to the sphere of Jesus. This world is no longer our home. We are in Christ. He is the world that we are part of. And secondly, Jesus is Lord. We don't make him Lord. He is Lord. And as followers of Jesus, we are to submit to his lordship. Everything about our life, our decisions, our priorities, our strivings, our plans, our dreams are to be submitted to the lordship of Jesus. And so if we want to break free from the past, if we want to overcome the sin that so often entangles us, we need to develop and to cultivate a heavenly perspective. Not one that makes us no earthly good, as I said last week. Because if we truly are heavenly minded, then we have sought out and we understand the passions and the desires and the mission of God. And we can't help but be really good here on earth as far as accomplishing what God has set us out to be. We must have our moral vision 
be controlled by the realities above, of who we are, what God has made us to be, what God has rescued us from, and what we will be. And that is to be what controls the way we morally envision the world that we live in. So we are to look up. And then we got into verses 5 through 9, and we came to the second label. Look out. And Paul reminds us that because we have died with Christ and we have risen with Christ, we have the, the spiritual power to slay the sinful desires that want to control us. Our position is that we have died to sin. But in the practice of our everyday life, we need to render sin as powerless. We are works in progress as we strive each day to become more and more like Christ. And so Paul says that we must put to death these things of our old nature. That we need to rid ourselves of these sins that are no longer part of who we are. What Paul is calling for is a complete extermination of our old man, our old woman from our new life. And so we come across these lists of sin. Paul gives us two lists of five sins. It might seem kind of odd that Paul gives us these lists, but as I explained last week, they were quite normal in Paul's day. People compiled lists of vices because there was this understanding that there were certain behaviors that are debased and there's other behaviors that are praiseworthy. And so Paul gives us these lists, and he doesn't give us these lists just so we can ponder them. But he expects, as people who profess to be followers of Jesus, that we will eliminate these vices from our life. Why? Because they're not reflective of who we are. They belong to our former way of life. These vices are not reflective of our new identity, our new reality. And so Paul says, put them to death. Rid yourselves of these things. And why these two specific uh, sinless? Sexual sins, social sins, or relational sins. Why does he choose those two? And I said last week, he could give us five different lists, but he landed on two. And I think one of the main reasons he he chose these two specific lists is because sexual sin destroys ultimately the individual. And social sins destroy ultimately community. And so we ended off last week looking at the first list, sexual sin. And if you missed Brent's sex talk, you have to go online and listen to last week's sermon because I'm not going to review it again here. But I left you with two pithy statements from Paul. And those were, first of all, if you are caught up in sexual sin of any kind, and remember, according to Paul, and I believe according to Scripture, any sexual relation outside of the marriage of a man and woman is sin. And if you are caught up in sexual sin, Paul says, don't do it. Remove yourself from the situation. Do whatever you've got to do. Just don't do it. And if you're caught up in the sexual sin that we label as pornography, Paul says, don't view it. Don't do it. 
don't view it. Get yourself away from those things that are pornography to your mind. We've got to do everything we can to, in, to, to uh, maintain the purity of our heart uh, and our mind. And it takes effort, it takes immediate action, and we are to do it regardless of the cost. And so that was the list of sexual sins. So now we come to the next list that Paul gives us in our passage. And so if you're looking at your scripture, verse 8, Paul says, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. You know, I think sometimes we consider those sins the little ones that we can kind of dismiss. But Paul doesn't dismiss them. I think some of us went through last week and we felt like we were unscathed. We made it through the tough sexual sin list unscathed. But this list this week, I think we all need to fasten our seatbelts because Paul's going to take us through a bumpy ride. Paul says, rid yourselves of all these things. And the word rid in Greek is a real strong word that that calls for decisive and immediate action. The the image that Paul gives us here in chapter 3, if you were to follow uh, his line of thought into the end of the chapter, to the end of chapter 17, or verse 17, is the image of removing stinky, smelly, dirty clothes before you put on clean, fresh-smelling clothes, which, which I think we understand, right? Like, like if you were working in the barn all day long and you were to put clean clothes over top of your barn overalls, you know the smelly clothes will win out. Like, imagine that you're going to go to a wedding or you've got a job interview and you've laid out your best outfit, but before you put it on, you decide, you know what, I got time for a two-hour workout. And so you go to the gym and you work out as hard as you ever have, and you are all sweaty, your deodorant has long past worked, and you get to your nice clean clothes and you strip down to your undergarments and then you put the clean clothes right on top of your stinky, sweaty body. We wouldn't do it, would we? It makes no sense. And what Paul says here is, before you put on the virtues that he lists, and if you look down in verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love. Before you put on those virtues, before you put on the clean clothes, you got to get rid of the dirty, smelly clothes. Because you wouldn't do it physically, so why would you do it spiritually? You've got to remove the dirty garments, the sinful, filthy rags, before you put on the garments of righteousness. This list of uh, virtues that are reflective of what our new life is to be, reflective of what it means to live out the image of Christ in the way that we live our daily life. And I think for some of us, that's, that's our problem. We strive so hard to put on those virtues. 
And we go to school, we go into our workplace, we go into our friendship, friend groups, and we strive so hard to demonstrate these virtues, but the stench of our old life wins through. And all we do is leave people confused because they hear our words and maybe they see some of our efforts, but boy, can they smell the stench of the former way of life that we used to live in. And Paul says, it doesn't make sense. You can't put on these new clothes until you first remove these old clothes. And so Paul goes through this list of, of relational or, or social sins, and, and I'll walk through them just like I did last week, just with, with quick definitions. Each one could be a sermon in itself. But many people believe, especially in the social sins, that there's a sequence of events that takes place here. And so first of all, you have anger. And, and that's what's building on the inside. I kind of think of it like a, a bottle of Coca-Cola. You get a two-liter bottle, and you've got the lid tight, and you start shaking and shaking and shaking. And this anger is building up on the inside. And it's starting to bubble over. And so as you're shaking that two-liter bottle, you're slowly loosening the bottle cap. And eventually, the anger that's boiling inside of us, often because of the frustration, that we're not getting things the way we think they should be. And eventually, it starts eating away at our defenses. And so we get this anger building up inside of us, and then Paul gets to the second sin on the list, and that's rage. And that's when anger blows. That's, that's when anger comes spewing out, often uncontrollably. And we say things and we do things that hurt people and leave people behind in, in, in a wake of, of disaster. And so we've got anger and we've got malice. And, and then Paul lists malice. And malice is an attitude of ill will towards another person. It's a bitterness that seeks to hurt somebody else. And so we say things and, we, and we, we do things that will hurt them. And then Paul lists slander. And slander follows malice. And that's, that's the desire to, to damage someone's good reputation by, by lying or spreading rumors or, or gossiping about them. And then he ends the list with filthy language, which literally means crude and abrasive language. And here in this context, I believe it's the words that come out of our mouth that we sure hope mama never hears us utter that are a result of our anger boiling over. And so we've got this list. And you know what's amazing about this list? We can accomplish this list in a matter of minutes. Think of what happens to you when someone disagrees with you or votes against your desires or when someone cuts you off on the road. Or someone isn't driving the way that you think they should. I, like, I have learned on Sundays, especially coming to Auburn, I have to watch what I'm doing when I'm driving. Actually, just in Peterborough alone. I can think of a Sunday morning flying up television road, and I came up behind this little black car. It's filled with people. I go, they got this cruise control set at one kilometer above the speed limit. And I ranted and raved, and I thought, what is this person doing? And I followed him onto Park Hill, and I followed him up Armour, and the Volks pulled right into the church. <laughs> I am so glad I didn't honk at you, Walter. And years ago, I remember going to a youth event and driving up, I think it's Fife Road to the layman's house, and coming up the hilly road and 
going at a good clip. And there's this vehicle. And they were doing the speed limit. Like, what were they doing? And I couldn't pass them. There's cars coming the other way. And then you get the double line. So I finally passed them. I'm like, where did this person learn to drive? How did they get their license? I hope their, their vehicle breaks down. I dropped my kids off. Had a refreshment. Took a nap. Started heading back. And little did I know, I would pass Tracy Parsons, still making her way to the layman. Now, I kind of embellished that story, Tracy. I can't really remember exactly what happened. Other, other than she talked about this rocket that passed her on Fife Road. But we could go from anger to rage to malice to slander to, to filthy language in a matter of moments. And just like we saw last week with sexual sins, These sins carry consequences. They destroy lives. They destroy relationships, friendships. They break up families. We can say something hurtful that will take a lifetime to heal. In fact, we can do in a moment of anger, we can can ruin something that's taken a lifetime to build. Communities are destroyed, churches are divided. And Paul says to us about these social sins, look out, because none of them belong in the life of a Christian or in the life of a church. They are part of our former way of life. They are the dirty, smelly, filthy rags that we are to get rid of before we put on the attitude and the actions of Christ. We've lived where we are in Pawnee Pool for the last 10 or 11 years. And uh, when we first moved there, there was a house across the street. And our understanding is it was the original farmhouse of the two or 300 acres that make up the end of our road. It was a tobacco farm. But the farmhouse hasn't been lived in since the 70s. And year after year after year, different for sale signs would go up and we would see people go in. And if I was out cutting the grass or doing something out in the front, sometimes people would walk across and try to find out more about the house. And, and the typical response I heard from people was, we love the house, but it sat for so long. Really, the best thing to do or what really is needed to be done is, is to tear it down and rebuild it from scratch. And that's uh, so what sat and it sat until this lovely young family moved into the house, and great neighbors, and, and, and uh, if they were ever listening to this message, my hope is that everything works out with the house for them, but we have, we've experienced, we've seen, and they've shared with us some of the frustration and the pain of trying to rebuild and remodel a home over its old original structure, and I think we can understand that, and what Paul would say to us is there might be hope for those people in that house, But when it comes to the Christian life, that's not how it works. The old nature isn't just simply remodeled or or, uh, reworked. Rather, it's to be put to death. In verse 10, Paul talks about God renewing us in the image of Christ. And and what he's talking about here is not simply a cosmetic overhaul of our sinful personality. It's not simply putting over some kind of glossy laminate over our old nature. Paul isn't telling us to put clean clothes over dirty clothes. 
Rather, what he's saying is we have to remove and get rid and throw away the garments of the old nature. One commentator has written, the commitment to get rid of sin cannot be accomplished by gradual degrees and with minor repairs. The whole foundation must be replaced. And the sooner we allow God to tear it down and start the rebuilding process, the sooner we avert the catastrophe of having the whole house come crashing down around our heads when the weight of sin becomes too much. I thought about that, that quote, and, and it hit me. Herein lies the problem. I think some of us aren't willing to put to death all the sin of who we used to be before we became to Christ. Even Augustine is reported to have said, God, grant me chastity, but not yet. And I think there's those of us here who know we need to put to death the sin of our old nature. But we end that with, but, but not yet. We've allowed ourselves, we've cultivated a tolerance of a certain amount of sin in our life. Someone, someone said that we seem to be able to tolerate an acceptable level of sin in our life more than we can accept bacteria in our drinking water. And I know that's true because at our house in Pontypool, we're on a well. And I think for the first six or seven years we were there, we drank the water literally as it came out of the ground. And then Allison had this crazy idea that we should test our water. And the result came back that there was a slight level of bacteria in our drinking water. And the world came to a stop. We were not allowed to do anything but shower in that water. We bought case after case after case of bottled water until we got the UV light put on and a proper filter system put on, put on our water. There was no toleration for bacteria, for pollution in our drinking water. Could you imagine if we viewed sin the same way? If we viewed the pollution of sin in our life the same way that we view the pollution of bacteria in our drinking water. We wouldn't find comfort in, in, in concluding that we have a just slightly above acceptable level of sin in our life and be okay with that. We wouldn't listen to the world that says it's okay to sin a little bit. There's no harm in it. Paul says that's not the case. In Christ, there is no room for pollution. It calls for drastic and immediate measures. We have to eliminate Everything that's there that is a pollution. Remove it, get rid of it, put it to death. At the end of these lists, we come to one last instruction of Paul's that seems, at first glance, out of place and kind of strange. In verse 9, he says, do not lie to each other. He's talked about sexual sins, he's talked about social sins, and he says, do not lie to each other. It's a very praiseworthy command, but why that instruction now? And then I realized Paul is giving us a practical first step. Last week we talked about sexual sin. I said, you've got to overcome sexual sin. Don't do it. Don't view it. And goodbye. And we left. And I'm sure some of you, well, where do I begin? How do I start? And we're talking about social sins. Where do I begin? How do I start? And here's where I think Paul's giving us the answer. Stop lying to each other. Embrace truth. 
When we as individuals tell people how things really are in our, in our life, good things start to happen. Life change begins. When we as a community embrace honesty and transparency and vulnerability, good things happen. The word lie carries with it the image of a mask. When we lie, literally what we're doing is putting on a mask. We're hiding our true identity. We're hiding what's really going on. And I think some of us are going through our Christian life like with a mask. We are terrified that people here would understand what's really going on in our lives. We hate to think what people would think of us if they knew the struggles that we have in our life. And if you're in that situation, this instruction is an invitation to you to step into freedom. Because you don't have to lie anymore. Embrace truth. Tell people how you're really doing. Because when we tell people how we are really doing, that's the beginning of forgiveness and redemption and healing and reconciliation. Don't lie to each other. Take off your mask. Pray that this Auburn community would be the kind of community that we are supposed to be. That this would be a safe place to be able to share those things that are weighing us down. They're entangling us and messing us up. There's two last labels, and I, we've talked a lot about them. Uh, and I'm just going to summarize it in, in, in two sentences. In, in the last few verses of our passage, we've seen look up, look out. And then Paul says, look in. Look around you. Paul wants us to remember and to understand and to personally embrace the truth of what has already taken place to you at the moment of your conversion. And in verse 10, Paul says that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You've taken off your old self, and you've put on the new self. And the way that this is written, it's not a command. It's a truth. It's a truth for us to claim. The reason that Paul can command us to put to death sexual sin and to rid ourselves of social sin is because we can. Because of who we now are. We aren't the person we used to be if we are a follower of Jesus. We are different, and so we can act differently. Think of the things that Paul has said in this letter. That we are in Christ. We belong to Christ. We find fullness and completion in Christ. We are to walk continually in Christ. God is renewing us in the image of Jesus. That God has pointed us in the right direction. That if we look around at others who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, as diverse of a group as we might be, we are united in Christ. Christ is all and in all. If you want to overcome sin, if you want to break free from the past, remember who you are in Jesus Christ. Because he has made you new and given you the ability to overcome and to break free from the past. 
You know, I wish I could conclude this message by telling you that I have no problem in any of these sins. That, that I have mastered victory over sexual sin and social sin, but I can't. There are areas that I've struggled in and I continue to struggle in myself. But I understand the struggle and I understand some of the steps that are important for us to be able to overcome and to break free from the past. We've got to cultivate a deeper love for Christ. When our passion is in the right thing, we don't have time for the wrong things. We've got to be willing to admit our struggles. We need to be in accountability groups and care groups where we can share what we're struggling. We need to be alert for warning signs. We need to know those things that cause our mind to go towards impure things. We need to understand those things that fill our minds with things that pander uh, to our lust. We need to understand those things that make us angry. And then finally, just like I said, we need to understand and to remember who we are in Jesus so that we can remember who we are, what we are, and why we are, and we can live that way. Praise team, come on up and sing that song that I hope you're still going to sing. Uh, and I, I pray that this is your prayer as, as you begin your journey through this process, as uh, you ask Jesus to be enthroned uh, in your life.